Welcome to Crucial Foundations, a program that seeks the foundational truths found in Scripture for every generation. Hi there, I'm Gable. And I'm Larry. We are teachers in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. Let us open our Bibles today to seek those timely truths found in God's Word. Welcome back to Crucial Foundations as we look at foundations that would be valid for this generation and for each generation. And the greatest foundation we begin with is the nature of God. As we understand who God is and what he has done for man, we'll find great comfort. As we talk about the understanding of the wrath and forgiveness of God, Jesus made that point center as he talked with people in his ministry. In John 8, 24, he says, therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus did not want men to die in their sins. Well, why is that a bad thing? Well, it's a bad thing because of the nature of God. God absolutely loves us, but God absolutely has wrath against all sin. And because we have all sinned, according to Romans 3.23, without the blood of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, the only thing we will face is the wrath of God. In Ephesians 2, 3, Paul is remembering not only his background, but the background of everyone before they became into Christ. He says, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. My friend, their God is real. He created this universe. We see his wisdom. We see his power. And we also need to understand that our God will not abide with sin. His wrath is real. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 talks about the assurance of Christians because we have the blood of Christ and the forgiveness of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, to, For to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of come. When you talk about being saved, you're being saved from the wrath of God. You talk about being saved, you have the love of God. And God will plead with us, do not die in your sins. I need God's forgiveness. And let's talk about that. What is God's forgiveness really like, Gable? That is something that we really have to dig into and we have to understand for ourselves. And you you highlighted um, some of this, um, not saying it in name uh, per se, but the fact of the matter is, is that we do have a choice and God wants us to make the right choice, obviously. And so part of that is repentance. Uh, repentance is so much tied to the forgiveness of God. Uh, a couple of passages to bring this out. If you go over to Acts 3 in verse 19, uh, one of the early sermons of Peter, uh, as the church was being established, repent, therefore, and turn back. So really the emphasis there on the turning back, making a change, that your sins may be blotted out. So he blots out our sins. And we'll continue to flesh that idea out uh, here in a moment. Also over in Isaiah, Isaiah 43 in verse 25, this is, of course, talking of God, says there, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So this is really getting more to the heart of what blotting out 
uh, actually means. So the Old Testament usage um, of this word blot or to blot out literally means to wipe away, to erase, to exterminate, to, to totally get rid of. Uh, if you go over to Psalm 51, this is one of the best places to go here um, for, uh, for getting the usage of this term. In Psalm 51 in verse 1, have mercy uh, on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out, that is, wipe away, get rid of my transgressions. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Completely get rid of those. If you go to Exodus 32, uh, right after the law had been established, uh, on the mountain, as Moses came down from the mountain, he saw that the people were worshiping the golden calf. They had uh, been worshiping it. They had so quickly forgotten God. And it says there that God is ready to blot out, that is to wipe out, to erase the people. And uh, Moses responds there by asking God to forgive their sin. And rather to, uh, Moses says, blot out my name from the book of life. But God says, no, it's not going to be you. It's going to be those uh, that are guilty of this. Um, so just briefly here, I also want to mention within that context, within um, really all that we've talked about with uh, blotting out, it is the idea somewhat of a ledger. Think of it this way. We've spent beyond what we're able to pay. It's like racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, on a credit card. And we ask the company to erase all of that debt. We want that gone. We don't want that on our record. We want all of that uh, away from us. And of course, that's laughable. They're not going to do that just uh, scot-free, and we, we don't have to pay any consequences. Well, fortunately, with us, when we bring this to God, we're not we're not dealing with an Ebenezer Scrooge type character who's miserly and he, uh, you know, he's going to hold back this forgiveness. No, we are coming to the God of grace who has promised that he will forgive when we come in this way. That is in a way of repentance, uh, of making that change. And so God, and this is beautiful, God does not remember our sins anymore. They are gone if we come to him in this way. Over in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, it reads there, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. They've been wiped away. Micah 7 verse 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights, notice there that language, he delights in steadfast love. He doesn't want to bring his wrath against those, but he is a holy God, and so he must punish sin. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. In many ways, uh, this whole concept of remembering no more. This is a concept that's really foreign to us as human beings. Uh, 
we often forget some of the most important things in our own lives, whether that's bills to pay, uh, appointments we've got to get to, birthdays, anniversaries, uh, and so on and so forth. But what we have no problem with holding on to is grudges against one another. We hold on to those for decades. Even someone perhaps who has repented, we've offered forgiveness, we say that's, that's taken care of, but we still hold a grudge. We can't let it go, but God does that. He does it perfectly. And just one more passage uh, in Luke 15, I'm not going to read this as I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. When the son who had been going off and he had uh, spent his inheritance on prodigal living, he decided that he was going to come back. He was going to come in repentance. And what does the father do there? He doesn't sit there uh, begrudgingly. He doesn't sit there with his arms folded saying, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. No, when he when the son came in that spirit of repentance, he welcomed him uh, willingly back into his loving arms. So God wants and will receive us back to full fellowship if we come in this way. And that is a beautiful thing for the children of God. This is a major, major foundation for each of us. I can pretty well show you either stunted spiritual growth or great spiritual growth on the basis of how people understand personally the great blessing of God's forgiveness. And this is a foundation that we've got to know confidently. God wants us to believe these promises. God will let us know precisely if we're forgiven. And when we do that, when we understand that, then we can have the guilt of sin removed. In 1 John 2, in verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You have, you and I have Jesus Christ as our advocate, as our lawyer, with the perfect sacrifice standing beside God. We are forgiven. We need to understand what that means. But, you know, we do struggle with beating ourselves up. There are many Christians that still say, well, I, I know the Bible says I'm forgiven, but I don't feel forgiven. Well, how to change your feelings to fact is repeating the fact until your mind lines up with it. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. When someone understands the true blessings of forgiveness, they've been given a gift that just changes their attitudes about everything. Years ago, I was working at a steel mill and we literally had a situation where we thought we were all going to die. I won't give you the details of it, but it looked like it was imminent. And fortunately, something broke at the last moment that would have brought a crane down on top of all of us, and we were okay. And I'll never forget the change of the terror of thinking you're about to die to now everything is okay. It changed my attitude toward that day, all of us. But what's far, far more greater is to understand the enormous forgiveness of God when we were born again. This is the Romans 6, 5 says we're raised to walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that we're new creatures. All things are new. 
Christian, do you understand that you've been forgiven? One thing to build off of now at this point, uh, we've talked about God's wrath. We've talked about his forgiveness. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, okay, what does that mean for me? <laughs> there's God's wrath. There's his forgiveness. How should that affect me? Um, why should that affect me? In so many ways, we should all, as human beings, want to be saved. We should want to be forgiven. If you go over to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says there, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has given time and opportunity to every man to come to him, to repent, um, to have that change of heart. And one of the, and we've talked about this already, when we remember what God has done for us, individually even, we put that kind of heart towards others. We extend that attitude towards others when we remember what's been done for us. And so salvation should cause selflessness to share the good news with others and not a selfishness to hold on to it for myself, not to extend that. Go over to Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. Paul says there, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. This is for everybody. This is not for one class of people. This is not for one uh, group in society. This is for all mankind. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new ha has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, and this is key, we are ambassadors, we are representatives for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just want to, again, highlight verse 20. We are ambassadors. When you put on Christ and you decide that you follow after Christ, you don't, you don't only follow after him, but you, you are representing Christ. You are a Christian. You wear that name, and you wear it uh, in such a way that others would come to him. And so never forget that. Never lose that motivation. One other passage uh, from the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
so many times in scripture we find that language to be used don't forget what was been what has been done for you and don't forget uh, when you were first saved when you were first baptized when you first put on Christ remember how that felt remember what purpose filled your heart continue that attitude throughout your life it's so important and that's the key over and over we're going to talk about here we hear the facts about forgiveness we hear the facts about God's wrath but personally it ought to constantly be changing our hearts now I'm going to talk about another area that sometimes Christians sometimes become destroyed because they want to just climb on the throne of God and be the judge, jury, and executioner of people who've done them wrong. And I want to tell you, I can take comfort, comfort in God's wrath. And here's why. I don't have to take personal vengeance. God will take care of every sin that's ever been committed that is unforgiven. In Romans 1.19, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. I'll get withdraw my wrath and i'm going to let god's wrath in its perfect way do its work it says for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord therefore you fair if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him a drink for in so doing you'll heap coals of fire on his head one of the things that sometimes destroy christians they want to put themselves in a place they're not capable of handling it handling the desire for vengeance handling the bitterness that comes from that God says, look, trust me, give it up. We'll clean your heart out. This is not yours. And so even as the angel faced Satan, he said, the Lord rebuke you. The angel would not take vengeance upon Satan, but trusted God. And so should we. And one other thing I think it's important is that when I understand the value of forgiveness and how God hates sin, I too will fight sin forgiveness doesn't mean you get laid back and go oh i'm gonna be forgiven oh forgive me forgive me forgive me and we never have any repentance we never have any concern to fight sin when we understand the price that was paid for sin we want to first identify sin and that means reasoning we want to discern between good and evil according to hebrews 5 13 and 14 the very measure of spiritual growth is seeing evil for what it is because satan will disguise evil why we do that why there is a moral standard why you see christians concerned about things such as social drinking or or how we dress or how we speak to one another or the things we watch and read oh somebody says oh it's rules 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 no 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 i'm forgiven and i understand the nature of sin and how sin can destroy my heart and i'm going to discern because my god hates sin and i want to be more like my god in Colossians 3, 5, it says, therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. You know, when we somehow think sin's not that bad, then we don't think forgiveness is very important. And, and that's really the problem of the world. The world doesn't want to know about sin. And therefore, forgiveness means very little to them, but not the Christian. And so you're going to find Christians concerned about right and wrong, concerned about what they do, say, and act. Again, just to highlight this point once more, living with a daily awareness of what God has done for me. 
we'll often hear the phrase, and you've probably heard it, live each day like it's your last. That's There's value in that. I think we understand what's being said there, but consider also this. Consider the parable that Jesus used in Luke chapter 7, uh, looking at verse 40 there. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Let's answer this question for ourselves. Who loves more? The one forgiven more or the one forgiven less? Of course, that's the question and that's the answer given in this passage. It's, of course, the one that's been forgiven more. How much have we been forgiven? Go down to verse 47 of the same chapter here. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. We, as Christians, have been forgiven so much, much and then some. We can't even begin to imagine, really, uh, the depth of the debt that has been paid for us. We who are forgiven by God have the best life, and we can have the best perspective, and we can live each day with that perspective. Uh, if you've been raised in a Christian home, in a godly home, these things might even seem like old hat to you. You've been forgiven, Jesus died for you, all of these things. Don't let that be the case. Don't let any of that grow old in your mind and in your life. But always keep that forgiveness, keep the cross ever before you, and don't find yourself thinking, God is, God's lucky to have me. You, probably, you may not say that, you may not even think that way, but your actions might point to that being the case. If you do think that way, you need to come back to the cross, realize what has been done. Again, you and I deserved death. We deserve death. And Christ, we've already uh, brought up such passages talking about Jesus being the propitiation, that is the appeasement of God's wrath. Jesus filled that gap so that we might not find God's wrath upon us, so that we might live. Again, such a beautiful imagery and something we have to keep in our minds always. Sometimes I've likened this, if you could take the worst person you could imagine who's killed people, lied, done whatever, whatever you want to take of them, and that person is forgiven. And then we compare what we've been forgiven mm -hmm. with which one was forgiven more. And I ask this question because sometimes we think, well, they were forgiven more. And I would tell you, no. The truth is we should be like that woman that Jesus talked about who was forgiven much. She was so grateful to Jesus. She washed his feet with her tears and wiped it with the hair of her head. There's a radical love that comes out of understanding forgiveness, and we all should have that same radical love, but sometimes we don't really perceive yet what God has done in forgiving us. And when we do, let me tell you the acid test, and Gable's already mentioned this. What is the acid test of whether or not we really understand God's forgiveness? And that is, 
how we treat others when they ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 12, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Interesting. We want to be forgiven. Well, as a matter of fact, God says, you're going to be forgiven as you forgive. Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also forgive you. You know what's tough about forgiveness? Is you wipe the debt away. Now, we love that when God does that for us. But how about somebody who's hurt us? Guess what? We're acting like God. Now, I will tell you, it's a tiny little speck compared to what God's forgiven us, but we've got to act like God. And when you forgive, you release the debt. And selfish people have a really hard time doing that. In 1 John 3, 14, John put it this way. We know we've passed from death to life. In other words, forgiveness, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, Gabe, one of the big problems I've seen in churches of brethren who come to hate one another. Now, they won't say that. I had one brother once says, Bible says, I got to love you, but I don't want, don't have to like you. And then he proceeded to gave all kinds of false charges to me. By the way, he later came to forgive and we, we later were able to reconcile, but it was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Sometimes grudge holding is a common practice in churches and it will kill you spiritually. It will destroy you. You're going to be the ones that's going to pay the highest price for holding grudges. And if you do not forgive your brethren, God will not forgive you. And by the way, Forgiveness comes when somebody repents. But let me say this, the releasing of the desire for vengeance is unconditional. And that's the big burden. Uh, and so again, we need to understand what we've been forgiven. And then it's so tiny, whatever somebody's done to us, it changes our thinking, it changes our relationship. Before I close out this podcast, I want to ask you questions. Let's give a test. And this test is our attitude toward others. Have we released the desire for all vengeance to others? And have we forgiven others when they have repented and asked for forgiveness? A few tests. When somebody, something happens to somebody, do we get pleasure in their hurt? Do we kind of smile? Yeah, that arrogant. No, that's not the right attitude. How about this one? Do we intentionally avoid being in their presence? Sometimes we would say, I forgive you, but then they don't have anything to do with you. Are we, we lying to ourselves? Do we vividly remember what we've suffered? You know, there's some people, it doesn't make good sense for them to hold on to their hurts like their last few sins. But they never forget something. They keep talking about it. Now, I recognize we're not like a computer and you can erase something is gone. But that's not only do they remember it, they love talking about it. I'm not sure you've forgiven yet. I'm not sure you've released the desire for vengeance. And how about this one? Are we uncomfortable when they are praised? You know, if we start seeing somebody praised and we feel uncomfortable about it, we may need to be thinking about our hearts. And then finally, do we go out of the way to be helpful to that person? Do we pray for that person? What a foundation. The foundation of forgiveness of understanding the, the wrath of God and the forgiveness of God. 
brethren, I think this is at the heart of everything in our Christianity. And I pray each of you have that deep joy that God has forgiven us, that deep joy that I want others to be saved. It makes all the difference in our attitude about everything. We hope you'll join us in our next podcast as we deal with another foundation from God. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast to be helpful or encouraging, please consider following and subscribing or leave a rating or a review. If you have questions about anything from the episode or any other Bible questions, you can reach out to us at ncvchurch at gmail.com. We hope that you'll join us next time as we lay another stone in the foundation of truth that God has given us. God bless you.